Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 138 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of February 2015, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 15, The Acceptance of Offerings, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, if you'd like to be opening your Bibles again this morning to, uh, to the book of Genesis chapter 4, if you've been here the last couple of Sundays, then you will know that we have been looking at the thought here from this passage of Scripture as we continue in our thoughts concerning the Genesis account on the acceptance of offerings to God. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, then I can't do anything about it. If you want to go back and listen, that's the problem sometimes when a lot of messages can't be done in just uh, uh, one short spat. Uh, and this one's taken, God willing, if we can uh, finish it up today, three, and that's just catching the highlights. So I would encourage you that if you missed any part of that, then maybe it would all make more sense if you were able to go back and listen to uh, uh, to all of it if you weren't uh, here to uh, uh, to hear it all. I'm going to begin with our scripture reading in Genesis chapter 4. I invite you to stand simply for the honoring of the reading of God's most precious and holy word from Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth in his countenance, Fail. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength, a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face shall I be hid. Now shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord 
and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Father, we thank you again this morning. Lord, we realize that your word, Lord, that it has such depth, that it has such meaning, that, Lord, in our humanness, we are totally, completely inept and unable, Lord, to present that which we need that can only come from you this morning. Father, you know this preacher's unworthiness. You know his inabilities. So, Father, we pray right now earnestly from the depths of our heart, Lord, not because we deserve it, but because we stand in such great need that by the power of your Spirit for your glory alone, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Help us, Lord, to be open and receptive to that which you have for us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask these things for his sake. Amen and amen. As we continue our thoughts this morning, we've asked ourselves a number of questions that we've hoped to answer as we've looked through these verses. And if we ever wondered where the practice of giving offerings came from, why do we receive an offering during our time of worship together? Why does your pastor continually preach on giving and the importance of it? Is it so that he can have more, so that the church can be more affluent? Or is it really genuinely for your own benefit? I've made the statements that, you know, you look in our bulletin and it says worship through giving. Worship through giving. We're going to be looking at a number of things, but I want to remind you once again that after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden and man was cast out of the garden into this world, that the very first thing that we find is an act of worship, a man giving to God. The very first thing that you find in the Word of God is an offering being brought to God. And that was the first thing that we talked about is just the very act of giving and what that meant. And as we looked after that, then we saw that, well, after we looked at various things concerning the very act of giving, we talked about this acceptance of God. Why was it that when both of these men were genuinely bringing an offering to God, that he accepted one, but that he did not accept the other? Was it the wrong kind of offering because one was a blood sacrifice, the flesh, and one was of the field? Well, it could have been because for sin offering, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That could have been because we know that any offering that is given to God for a sin offering that is required, was it because that it was inferior quality? Because the Bible told us that the offering that Abel brought, that it was the best of the best that he had. The Bible is clear on that. It doesn't tell us that about Cain's offering. <laughs> You see, he doesn't say that it was bad, that it was good, that it was inferior, that it was superior. He doesn't tell us at all. We do know this. That could have been part of the reason because as we look all through Scripture, God deserves the best. 
God deserves the first. And we talked about that, that so many times, even with Christians that genuinely love God and, and want to walk with God, God ends up with the leftovers. If there's something left for him. He's supposed to be the person that we love more than anything in the world. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us on Calvary. Our eternity depends on it. What we do for him is the only thing that's going to, to last for eternity. And yet, so many times in our lives, what we perceive to be our greatest needs <laughs> and our wants, so many things come before God getting his. And I said earlier, and we'll say it again, that we're not just talking about money. God gets our leftover money. God gets our leftover time. God gets our leftover talents. God gets the leftovers in everything in our lives so many times without us even really considering what we're doing. I can tell you what we do know for certain. Those things could have been part of the reason, but the Bible doesn't specifically tell us that, so we need to be very careful. We can say that God deserves the best of the best. He always got the first of the fruits. Whether it was of the ground or whether it was of the animals, he got the first fruits. His came off the top. He got the best, not what was left over. We find that that could have been. But we do know for absolute certain that the Bible did tell us, and we looked at the fact that two things for certain, that Abel gave his in faith, but Cain gave his in unbelief. <laughs> we don't know what instructions God had given them beforehand, but we know that Abel followed them whatever they were because the Bible later tells us in Hebrews that he gave it by faith, and it was accepted to God for righteousness. We find that he not only gave it in faith, but we find that he gave it in love. You see, it was an act of love. The Bible shows us this over and over and over and over, and I've said to you, you know, when we really, when we really love someone and when we really love something, it is easy. <laughs> you want to give to somebody you love. You want to give to somebody to make them happy when you really love them. You want to please them. If that person doesn't have the place they ought to have in our lives, it's harder and harder. The excuses multiply. We reason it out to ourselves and all these different things. And you say, the thing is, God is so gracious. I've said this, and, and, and you've got to keep this in your mind because I don't want you to misunderstand. You see, you can't make God love you any less whether you're obedient or disobedient, whether you're the greatest sinner in the world or whether you're the, the, the greatest person that ever lived, God loves you unconditionally. We're not talking about putting money in the offering and going to church and being faithful and doing all these things. We're not talking about giving so that we can buy favors and somehow God will love us more. We're not talking about being able to pay God back. <laughs> what he's done for us. We need to mark this down. The first act of worship in the word of God is that of giving. The foundation is laid. Some people don't want Genesis. They don't want to take it literal. That's the very first act of worship that God ever gives us in scripture. What did we say worship was about? It all goes back to the word of being worth something to us.
You see, worship is about showing God his worth. How much do we really love him? How much does he really mean to us? How valuable is he to us? So part of our giving is showing God that worth. But we can't go back and look at all of that. I want us to look this morning. We've talked about the gifts and why we know that one was accepted and why it wasn't wasn't accepted. If it's not given by faith, if it's not given according to God's word, if it's not given by God's instruction, if it's not given trusting him, you see, faith is all of these things. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It comes back to whether or not we're giving in obedience to God's word, what he says, and trust him to really do what he says he'll do. When we don't, there's something there if we think this is more important or we've got to have the money that's for this, we've got to have the money for that, and we're not putting him first, be careful. Are you struggling with your finances? <laughs> Are you struggling with your time? Are you struggling with these things? Well, I can assure you, I'm not saying this for any ulterior motive. The things that we have looked at and the things that we continue to see in God's word is simply this. God's not going to love you any less. you got 24 hours in the day no matter what. But I will promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, and if it's not true, I will split hell wide open one day because we can't believe anything that Bible says. But if it is true, if you're struggling with time, give God more time. <laughs> Do you really believe he'll multiply it like he said that he would? Do you really believe that he'll give back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will meet those needs? Do you believe God when he tells you those things? He's saying, I just can't. I just can't afford to. Well, we've talked about a lot of those things. But I want to talk to you. You know, we've, we've sang several songs this morning purposely to do with being glad, <laughs> of coming into God's presence, him making us glad, of us being glad. We find that the third thing that I want you to see, we've seen the act of giving and the acceptance of God, but thirdly, the attitude of the giver. Now, please, if you care. If you don't care, then don't worry about it. If you care, if you genuinely care, because I can't make you do anything, but if you care about this and you want to be reminded of God's truths, not because I'm showing you something that you don't know. If you missed the first two parts, please go back and, and listen to those because this will make much more sense to you. You see, notice what happens there in verse 5 of our reading. Just after it says, let's read verse 4 and 5. The last part of verse 4 says, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Now, right after that acceptance, I want you to look at the attitude because it says, And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance failed. What happened when Cain's offering wasn't good enough? <laughs> when it was the one that wasn't respected, that wasn't accepted by God? What happened when really comes down to he didn't get his own way? 
We don't know what God had told them before, but we know that he had the same instruction that his brother had. Why did one come by faith believing God and acting upon what God had said and the other one not doing it his own way? You know, we said before, <laughs> we don't even know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know for sure. That's why that whether it was because of the wrong kind of offering or the quality of the offering, we don't know what those were. But we do know. We do know that when these two men came, that Cain was obviously trying to do it his way instead of God's way. We don't even know if this was offering of God had told them they had to bring an offering or if this was done as we find many times in Scripture just out of the, the love of their heart because they wanted to show God how much he was worth to them. We don't know. But what happened when Cain's way wasn't good enough? When he was actually shown up for the counterfeit that he was. You see, he was talking the talk but not walking the walk. Now that really gets to the matter of it. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. He didn't like it and it showed. He didn't like the fact that what he was doing wasn't good enough for God. Rather than having a repentant heart to see what was wrong, to see why he had fallen. Why his offering wasn't acceptable. His attitude went totally sour. And you know, the sad thing is so many times in people's lives, that's what happens. When the preacher starts preaching about giving, they start shutting off and their attitude goes sour and it shows up just like Cain's did. He was very wroth and his countenance fell. In other words, he got upset, he got angry, and it showed it's just that simple. He didn't like what he was hearing. God, in his loving patience, in his mercy, is trying to speak to Cain. He's trying to give him an opportunity to make things right. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Cain, why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance falling? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and to thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In other words, God's loving this in Cain. Come on. What's the matter? Why are you upset? Why are you angry? Why are you acting this way? Why do you have this attitude problem? Because that's what it comes down to. His attitude was all out of shape on this matter. Don't you realize that you just need to be obedient to what I've told you? Don't you realize your offering will be accepted just like your brother's if you just do what I've asked you to do? If you just stop trying to do your own thing and do it your way? But I'll tell you something else, Cain. You keep up this attitude. <laughs> keep acting the way you're acting. Sin is lying right there at the door, ready to pounce on you and to overpower you. 
It's sitting there. It's waiting. Don't you realize your relationship with God needs to be everything that it can be. You need all the blessings and all the help that you can get. Sin is waiting at the door to pounce on any of us. He said, Cain, don't you realize that this kind of attitude is going to get you in trouble? God is still trying to give him an opportunity to do what is right, to worship him through the offering of an acceptable gift. Verse 8 says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. What did God just warn him? Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. Sin is going to pounce all over you, Cain. Cain wouldn't heed the warning. He wouldn't accept God's gracious opportunity to do what was right. God's warning about sin waiting to pounce became a reality, and Cain got to become known as the first murderer of the human race. Walking in disobedience is just opening that door for sin to pounce. It's not because that God somehow decided to slay you. You're giving sin the opportunity just as Cain did. The Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? God speaks to him following the murdering of his brother. <laughs> Cain's attitude has changed even a bit more here. <laughs> To start with, he was wroth, he was angry, and it showed, and he got all bent out of shape and sour. Now he's just become totally sarcastic. <laughs> he really has. He just out and out lied to God as well. <laughs> you see, sin was waiting to pounce, but God had warned, and sin will begin to get control of you. Sin will start to rule over you. Why? Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> we find that he told God he didn't know where he was. <laughs> what he's trying to lay, what's happened to him on me for? <laughs> what have I got to do with it? Verse 10, God says, and he said, what hast thou done? Remember when we looked at that question back in the garden? Adam, where art thou? He didn't ask him because God needed to know. God knew exactly what Cain had done. He asked him the question because Cain needed to repent. God says, Cain, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Cain, who are you trying to kid? <laughs> when are you going to get honest? I know exactly what you've done. <laughs> who are you trying to kid? You trying to put up a front for everybody else or you trying to put up a front for me? You can deny it all you want, but you can't hide it from me. You see, I know, I know what you've given to me. I know what worth you've placed upon me. I know what value you've done. I know exactly why you've done everything that you've done it. You can, you can, you can try to tell all these people all these reasons. You can even try to convince yourself. I know what's going on in your heart. <laughs> And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood. 
from thy hand. He goes on down in these next verses, right down through verse 16. <laughs> God's judgment is passed on Cain. His punishment is delivered. A curse had been put upon the earth. Now another curse is specifically put upon the ground that he tills. Of course, it becomes clear that Cain had a heart problem all along. That is where problems begin. <laughs> they don't start outside and work their way in. They begin inside and work their way out. And all God was wanting was for Cain to understand. You know, God was willing to forgive and to put all behind him. God was giving him the opportunity to do what was right. But instead, he gets all angry and sour and his countenance falls and he gets all sarcastic with God and he even begins to, to lie to God. And he's certainly lying to himself. <laughs> we find that Cain had a heart problem. And God was wanting him to see it. But he wouldn't get his attitude in place to even recognize in the real. Now, a lot of things could be said here. The question is asked many times, preacher, do you believe that God still curses us because that we don't give? Well, I think there was a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> I believe that we can look at many things, and we'll look at a few here in just a minute. I don't believe that God is going to curse you as he did Cain. Jesus Christ came to take your curse. <laughs> That's why the responsibility upon us becomes an even greater one. God is living within us. The Holy Spirit is living within us. We have a far less excuse than Cain did. Because it's not just God speaking to us occasionally, whenever that he needs to. He's there all the time. We have his word all the time. If we will communicate with him, us on our knees, and him through his word, through the spirit that lives within us. It's a two-way communication. God is there with you all the time. God is trying to show you all the time. What I'm trying to get you to see is because of his attitude that he got the judgments of God brought upon him. In our case, it can be because of your attitude that you miss the blessings of God, that you miss the blessings that he's promised you. Maybe God's not going to curse the ground that you till as he did Cain. It's a different world. It's a different dispensation. But I'm saying your attitude will cost you the blessings. You see, we ask ourselves, it says here in verse 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain refused to do it God's way. In the end, God's hand of protection was still upon him. My judgment is more than I can bear. I said, okay, I'll protect you. <laughs> But he went out from the presence of the Lord. He went out to live in another location. He struggled the rest of his life because he wasn't willing. Rather than to accept what God was trying to show him, he refused to adjust his attitude. Today, what's your attitude towards it all? Do you really want? I, I couldn't make this stuff up. 
I'm not making it up. I've not made a statement. As a matter of fact, I've tried to pedal very, very softly not to even declare something that probably could be true. Not to presuppose anything, but to tell you precisely and exactly what the Bible says. I guess that the question so often is, okay, what am I supposed to give? How much should I give? Well, I think that that's something that you need to talk to God about. <laughs> Martin Luther, the reformer, said this. He said, I have tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all. But what I have given unto God's hands, I still possess. <laughs> I've tried, he said. I've tried to keep things myself, and I lost it all. And I'll tell you something. It was with nothing that you came into this world, and it's with nothing that you'll go out. But what I've given to God's hands, I still possess. The writer C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. <laughs> In other words, he said, yeah. I don't know how we can ever settle the exact amount that we should give to God. <laughs> Well, I'm certainly not going to tell you exactly, but I'll give you a principle that's a good place to start. And you can accept it or you can reject it like Cain did. But in Genesis chapter 14, we could read many verses, but let's just read verse 18 to 20. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. <laughs> we find that that's the first place that we find Tithes mentioned in the Bible. Oh, preacher, you're going to get it. Well, you know, we don't even know exactly. We don't know exactly when the practice of giving God that tithe, that 10%, that first 10%. We don't know exactly when that that first became a 10% figure. Matter of fact, a lot of Christians and Jewish scholars believe that the way that this was introduced here in Genesis chapter 14 the way it was introduced with no preamble, with no introduction, that it doesn't seem like it was probably the beginning of something, but that it was more likely the practicing of something that was even already established. I don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us this is when God said, this shows us here that the practice was taking place. What we do know is that God specifically shows us here because Abraham was the first when God chose one out to bring forth a people, a people of God, the nation of Israel. We all, the kids sing that great old song, Father Abraham. <laughs> they can get into that, Father Abraham. We know that when God chose out a people to do a work for him that he was going to work through on this earth, that that was a practice that was just put into place, that was practiced. 
Some reject it today because they say, oh, that was part of the law. <laughs> we don't live under the law anymore. Well, thank God we don't. I don't really understand really where they come from with that because, in fact, this was way before the law here. <laughs> this was the first instance we see of God having a people. It did come under the law later, under Moses, and Jesus and the apostles practiced it in the, in the New Testament. So I, I, don't, I don't really grasp and understand. We're not doing it under the law. I've said before, they didn't just give one tithe. They gave three tithes, which worked out to two tithes all the time and one every third year. So it was like 23 and a third percent that they were giving under the law. Many times, especially to a new an immature Christian, it seems like, whew, that's a large amount. They really just don't see how they could possibly meet their financial obligations if they do that. And what happens? Well, again, rather than God getting the first fruits, he gets those leftovers. They have their money and they spend it on themselves and they pay those bills and they buy the things that they want to make life comfortable for them, and then they'll give God a little of the leftovers if there's any left for him. That'll never make a healthy relationship. I want to give you a couple of passages as we wrap this up this morning. The Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 9 Notice what the Word of God says. Preachers don't often find it easy to preach on these things because they think, well, people are going to get the wrong attitudes. Well, I'm trying to show you just from the Scriptures. <laughs> I can't do anything about your attitude, but will you listen to the Lord? He says here in verse 57 of Luke chapter 9, And it came to pass that as they went in the, in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord... I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want to go, wherever you take me. Do you realize? <laughs> you know, people have houses to live in. Even the animals, they have their, their dens and their holes, but me? I don't even have a place, a bed to call my own to lay my head every night. Then he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Whoa. That's a pretty good excuse. i got to go bury somebody I care for. Well, do you know, God's not saying you shouldn't bury your loved ones. But he's saying if that's hindering you from preaching the kingdom of God, then yes. Let the dead bury themselves. That's important. He's not trying to show you that that's not important. He's trying to show you that preaching the kingdom of God is more important even than that. Another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. I've got some people I've got to get to understand this, Lord. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
We could say a lot of things, but bottom line is, if you really want to follow Jesus, <laughs> he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to put me first. You've got to put me first before those important things, before those important places, before those important possessions, before all those other people. And it all comes back to the foundations that were laid right there with the first family. And it comes back to that faith and that love. You see, as a person grows in the Lord, one thing that happens is faith matures. They begin to grasp the reality of what it really means for God to be first and then me. They really begin to grasp the hey. As long as I'm trying to put me forth and I'm doing my thing and I'm doing it Cain's way, as long as I'm doing it, I'm going to struggle. But wow, <laughs> when I really, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what I think, when I do it Abel's way, when I put God first, when I give him the first of my best, when I give him the very best of my best, it works. They begin to act in that love of really showing their love, of putting their faith into practice and believing what God says. And they find in reality that, you know what? <laughs> it's not just sometimes. God's way is always best. God's way always works. His promises are sure. They're definite. They're the foundation that we can live on. We can never go wrong with putting him first. I wish I had time. Matthew chapter 6. Notice what he says here beginning in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where that which really matters to you. Where that that you put a worth to. Where that that you place the greatest value on, that's where your heart's going to be. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Therefore the light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, listen, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Isn't it more than the food that you eat and the clothes you put on your back? Behold, the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Which one of you, with everything that you can do, can even add an inch to your height, <laughs> to who you are, to what you are? 
And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whitherwithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Folks, <laughs> the world, those that are not God's people, they're going to have to worry and seek after all those things. But you shouldn't. Your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I could say a lot, but simply, do you believe that? You see, the same thing always happens. God and his word never fail. When you honor God with the first fruits rather than having less and doing without, <laughs> you'll find that God really does honor his word. He really does do what he says. He'll provide better than you could possibly provide for yourself. Why would you want to just live off of what you can do when God said, hey, put me first and I'll take care of those things? You might, I'm not sure. You might even come to think that maybe possibly that preacher's just not completely after, off his rocker after all. Maybe, maybe he's seeing something in God's word. I've told you before, I'm honest. I had to learn the hard way. What is amazing is that something always happens. Sometimes we can never, ever, ever have imagined possible. You see, when people put God's word into practice, <laughs> they find that in actual fact, though it may seem so big when you're young and immature, <laughs> that's just the first step. <laughs> they discover that the very foundation that's laid for us there in Genesis, that love and that faith, oh, it'll take them way beyond that. <laughs> they believe offerings to God and see him bless beyond measure. They begin to grasp the reality of other truths that are based on that same foundation. Those truths that we've looked at a number of times in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10, it's not just the tithe. That these people out of their deep poverty, because they love God, they were doing what was impossible. They were doing what didn't even work out on paper. They were doing that which literally man could not get credit for. Most of what we give is because we sit down and we figure out what we can do. Whereas they, they were doing what they couldn't do. Seeing God do that through them. Seeing God do what would never, ever, ever make sense to man. We find that I shared the story before, and I'll give you this closing. <laughs> Missionary was talking to the young new Christian. 
His name happened to be Pablo. Pablo, if you had 100 sheep, would you give 50 of them to the Lord's work? Well, you know I'd gladly do it if I had that many. Pablo, if you had 50 cows, would you give 25 of them to the Lord's work? Well, preacher, you know I'd be more than happy to do that. Pablo, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord's work? Now, preacher, that's not fair. You know I've got two pigs. <laughs> you see, it's very, very easy to give what we don't have. Many times people can be very generous in their thoughts and in their minds, but not in practice. It seems like we have looked at some of the illustrations the last couple of weeks. If I only had, I would do. If I only had this much money, I'd give this to God. If I only had that bit more, if I could only just make it a little bit easier, quit lying to yourself. God knows your heart. If you're not willing to give him a penny out of the 10p, if you're not willing to give him 10p out of the pound, then don't kid yourself into thinking that you'll give him a 1,000 out of the 100,000 or whatever. Don't kid yourself. If you're not willing to put God first, now and trust him. Why do you think you'd trust him when you had even more and less cause to trust him? You see, it's all a joke. I give you this in closing. I could say so much because I wish, I wish so much. You see, as I look across the congregation this morning, first of all, I hope you've accepted the first great gift. You see, first of all, God gave life to all of us. And then God, through his son, not only gave us that life, but he'd already put the plan in place to give us his son, to give us life eternal, because he knew we'd mess it up. Man's very first act of worshiping God, of showing his worth, was I bring him an offering to show him how much he meant to him. Oh, there's so many places we could look. You know, we've got to be careful on the other side, too. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. You know, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about God having the first fruits of everything, of our life. God having me. God having my time. We struggle a lot of times. We can get all prideful and feel like, oh, man, I put my 10% of money in there every week. How much time are you giving God? How much of your talent are you giving to God? You can look at that other person. If you're not careful, you'll get the same attitude problem that Cain did, except it'll be pride. Pride. You see, I don't want to know whether you're paying your tithes or not. <laughs> I could look at the books and see. I don't want to know. God knows. Matter of fact, it, 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 you know, it makes it harder for me to know. The truth is, is that I know God knows. And as speak to you this morning, I'm saying, does God have first place in everything in your life? One person may be giving him the money, but not the time. Another may be giving him the time and not the money. Another may be using their talent for him and somebody else for the world. Maybe you're here this morning, you got an ability, a talent that ought to be being used in serving your church and using it. You're robbing God just as much as that person that's not putting their... Higher than a minimum. 
That's just all. That's, that's, that's the least we find anywhere in Scripture. <laughs> if you don't do it, you're still a child of God. <laughs> God has still shown how much he loves you. But at least don't have the attitude of Cain. <laughs> don't start trying to get all sour and reason it away and put it away. Just be honest. <laughs> you don't love God enough to trust him. It's not love and it's not faith. That's, that's what Abel had, love and faith. Today, if you love God, show it. <laughs> show him what he's worth. Put him first. Trust him. Believe that he'll do what he'll do. Don't try to do it your way like Cain's and end up out there in the world on your own. Do it God's way. It'll work for you. So as we look at all these things, we find that you can go back and you can look and you can put it all together. All giving begins with God. He's the greatest giver of all. He's given us life and he's given us life everlasting. That very first act of worship was man giving an offering to God. Giving to God is the essence of worship. Giving in some way to show that worth. Giving to God is not paying back or buying favors. It's an act of showing him how much he's worth to us, how much we trust him. For offerings to be acceptable to God, they've got to be given by faith. They've got to begin in love. An offering to God it has got to be the best of the best the firstlings, the first of what you've got, not the leftovers. Our actions will speak clearly, just like Cain's and Abel's. What we give will declare how much faith we have and will show how much love that we truly possess. And our attitude towards God that we've just seen in this matter will markedly affect our future and what it holds. What's your attitude today? Are you willing to listen to God regardless of what you do? Are you willing to listen to God to honor him? Are you willing? You know what he said in Malachi when he's talking about the time? He says, prove me. <laughs> prove me if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you'll not be able to withstand. He said, just prove my word and see if it doesn't work today. Let's prove God. Let's prove how much we love him. Let's prove how much we trust him that his work comes first before ours, that he deserves the best that we have to offer. We're going to stand and we're going to sing for our closing hymn this morning. Really? I'm not even asking you if you've, uh, <laughs> you've done what the preacher wants you to do. If you've done what the church teaches you should do. Have you done what God wants you to do? We're going to sing Raldus' favorite hymn. <laughs> Have I done my best for Jesus? <laughs> you know, God doesn't ask you to do what anybody else is doing. That's why it's percentage. Whether it's your money or whether it's your time, he's not asking you to give more. He's asking you to give according to what you have of what he's blessed you with. All the New Testament is about giving in that way. Mm -hmm. 